As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Qatar, a tiny country on the Persian Gulf with immense domestic wealth thanks largely to its reserves of fossil fuels. Recently, it has been widely discussed due to hosting the 2022 Football World Cup, but Qatar has many more reasons to be the talk of the town, especially for economists. It is one of the richest countries on the planet in terms of GDP per capita, with the average Qatari resident producing $61,000 worth of output in 2021. And despite its small geographic size, its population exploded in the 21st century from around 650,000 inhabitants in 2000 up to more than 2.7 million inhabitants in 2022. This massive increase was due to the large inflow in migrant workers, mostly young men from India, Nepal, Bangladesh, the Philippines, Indonesia, and a host of other undeveloped or developing economies. The situation of the migrant workers in Qatar has been covered extensively in the media around the globe prior to and during the World Cup. Countless articles explain the plights of the young men who went to work in Qatar, with thousands of them tragically never making it back home. The terrible conditions these workers are forced to endure halfway across the world from their homes means that there must be a very strong force compelling them to keep coming back to the desert. The money these workers can make, while insignificant to a lot of us in advanced countries, can have huge impacts on their family's way of life back home. Even beyond this, the collective earning power of these workers can change the entire economies of their home countries, but not always in a good way. From an economist's perspective, Qatar gives us an excellent case study to analyse the reasons for migrant labour, as well as the ramifications for the home countries and the host countries. This is a much bigger issue than you might think. Migrants already make up an estimated 5% of the global workforce today, and as the world becomes more connected, that number is only going to increase. So there's a very good chance that your home country is also affected one way or another. Labour migration is no new phenomenon. It can be seen throughout human history. But with almost 90% of its population being non-citizens, Qatar is in a league of its own. So what are the positives that migrant labour can bring to the workers' host countries and home countries? What are the economic drawbacks that those countries should be aware of? And is there a way to manage this process to avoid these problems and make conditions better for the people actually doing the work? Qatar has the highest rate of migrant work in the world. This is simply due to the limitations in their factors of production and their desire to build out infrastructure to host businesses and tourism long after their finite reserves of oil run out. Qatar has the capital, but not the workforce, to build infrastructure on a large scale. This fact got even more apparent when the country was selected to host the World Cup, meaning seven stadiums had yet to be built in the remaining 12 years. Recruiting workers from abroad was the only way to accomplish such an enormous endeavour. Construction workers are not the only type of migrant workers in Qatar. Hotels, restaurants and public facilities all need staff as well. At this point, we should also remember that Qatar is also host to so-called working professionals, highly skilled expats who work in all sorts of jobs such as accounting, human resources, IT and marketing for various Qatari or international companies. Therefore, we need to differentiate between high-skilled and low-skilled immigrants since they have very different effects on the host countries. One factor to consider is whether the immigrants substitute or complement the skills of existing workers. In some countries, migrant workers are substitutes for existing workers, which creates competition and leads to higher unemployment. To give a more concrete example, if many doctors come from abroad to a new country, the supply of doctors will increase. This reduces the wages since some clinics have more doctors to choose from when hiring. 
In addition, if the number of positions does not increase, local doctors might lose their jobs to the newcomers. Now, this is typically what people are worried about when it comes to immigration. But assuming that this process is managed correctly, skilled migration is very rarely a problem because governments tend to only offer skilled visas to people with the skills that their economy is lacking. In Qatar, this is not an issue. The labour demand is high, hence expats are not threatening the employment opportunities for locals. In addition, immigrants often create new jobs. Immigrants mean more residents in a country, which in turn calls for additional doctors to be employed. In Qatar, the huge influx in workers created the need for housing and other essential services, which in turn created even more demand for expatriate labour. This effect can turn into a benefit for the local labour force due to the subsequent growth of the economy. A whole nation is better off by growing the pie, which leaves more for everyone. Whether migrant workers are a net positive or negative on the wages of the native population depends on the magnitude of these competing factors. The native population of Qatar has very few low-skilled workers, so it's likely that the complementary component dominates. More migrant construction workers means more demand for white-collar managers and engineers to work on the projects as well. While the system may be good for the economy as a whole, what about the situation for the migrant workers themselves? The conditions for the migrant workers are reportedly challenging. Witnesses describe poor working conditions, cramped accommodation, broken promises about pay, and backbreaking work in an above 50 degrees Celsius heat, 125 degrees Fahrenheit for the Americans out there. Given the harsh conditions, why would anybody be willing to work in Qatar? The obvious answer is money. Money or the promise to achieve a brighter future for the family is a strong motivator. Many developing countries face such severe poverty that there is simply a lack of options for people. Take Nepal, for instance, one of the countries with the most workers in Qatar. Nepal has struggled for decades to provide meaningful opportunities to large parts of its population, particularly those who live in the countryside. Trapped in poverty, hundreds of thousands of those citizens now look for work abroad every year instead. The Nepali government estimates that they are part of an ongoing exodus that has seen more than 25% of Nepal's population migrate to work overseas since records related to such work started to be collected in 1994. Many workers send remittances home, which the World Bank notes can help alleviate poverty in low- and middle-income countries. Remittances have been growing rapidly in the past few years and now represent the largest source of foreign income for many developing economies, more than foreign direct investment or foreign aid. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For this reason, some of these governments encourage their citizens to work abroad, resulting, for example, in a formal working agreement between Nepal and Qatar. It's hard to estimate the exact size of remittance flows because many take place through unofficial channels. Worldwide, officially recorded international migrant remittances are projected to reach 630 billion US dollars to low and middle income countries in 2022. For Qatar, the latest value for 2021 is 858.7 million US dollars. 
unrecorded flows through informal channels are believed to be at least 50% larger than recorded flows. Remittances are especially important for low-income countries and account for nearly 4% of their GDP on average. Cross-country analysis generally find that remittances have reduced the share of poor people in a country. In poorer households, remittances may buy basic consumer goods, housing, children's education, and healthcare. In richer households, they may provide capital for small businesses and entrepreneurial activities. Remittances have real economic implications for the sending and receiving countries. But let's focus first on the benefits to countries like India or Nepal, where the migrants originate from. The vast money inflow to poor households has already been mentioned. Remittances are a household-to-household transfer, directly benefiting the poorer strata of society. And as we've discussed on this channel many times in the past, the poor have a higher marginal propensity to consume. This principle refers to what percentage of additional income one will spend as compared to saving. Imagine your government decides to give every citizen a direct cash transfer of 500 US dollars to cope with the increase in energy cost due to the war in Ukraine. Poorer households who struggle to make ends meet are more likely to spend that money on their daily living expenses rather than putting it in their savings account or investing it. The opposite has been found for the affluent members of society whose daily needs are covered either way. An increase in domestic consumption is beneficial for the local economy since there is a high demand for goods which helps local businesses and creates jobs. It also increases the amount of taxes collected by the government. Even if the money isn't spent, it's not all bad news. Research finds that in countries where the increase in remittances is associated with an increase in investment rather than consumption, an even stronger positive relationship between remittance and GDP growth can be observed. Remittances can impact growth of an economy positively by providing access to credit, as they can be used for collateral for loans. Since remittance payments are expected to continue even in the case of negative shocks to the borrowers, they become a signal of reliability to the lender. Beyond the cash received from remittances, labour migration can also have a beneficial impact on human capital. Migrants returning from working abroad are shown to have a higher propensity for developing their own businesses. They have been exposed to how businesses are run in more developed countries and can recognise trends within their home country and create a company to take advantage of opportunities. Economists are famous for using the phrase, it depends, when asked a question. This certainly also applies to the question of whether remittances are a net positive for less developed nations. It depends on the circumstances and certainly comes with several downsides which are worth considering. Labour shortages can occur, particularly when highly skilled workers leave the country. Money transfers to the populations which remained in the country might also undercut the recipient's incentives to work. If the amount of remittances surpasses the recipient's expected earnings from work, this external income flow can discourage labour force participation, induce voluntary unemployment and foster a culture of dependency. Another very interesting effect can occur on a macroeconomic level, given that the flow of remittances is substantial as compared to the size of the economy. Large inflows in foreign currency due to exports of resources can cause the domestic currency to appreciate, and the exact same thing happens due to the inflow of remittances. If remittances are large, the recipient country could face real exchange rate appreciation that may make its economy less competitive internationally. Countries' exports are less price competitive since goods become more expensive to other countries as the domestic currency rises in value. This can snuff out domestic industries of developing countries. Let's look at a hypothetical example. Suppose migrant workers from Nepal send their earnings in Qatari rials, the Qatari currency, back home. In Nepal, the local agent in charge of the remittance transfers the amount in Nepali rupees to the recipient family of the worker. In the process, rupees had to be bought with the rials, which increases the demand for Nepali rupees. If there is a high demand in a currency, it appreciates, which means it becomes more valuable in relation to foreign currencies. A strong Nepali currency makes it cheaper to import goods, and Nepalese citizens have more purchasing power when travelling abroad. 
But this also increases the prices of goods produced in Nepal. Suppose Nepal has a huge carpet industry which employs a lot of Nepalese workers and contributes to the public in the form of taxes. The buyers of those carpets are situated mostly abroad. Due to the increase in value of the Nepalese rupees, these carpets will suddenly be more expensive for those international customers and will become less competitive. Since the carpets from Bangladesh and Myanmar are suddenly cheaper, international customers will rather buy those and the Nepalese industry will cease to exist, reducing employment opportunities and industrial output in the country. This slowdown in domestic industry will only work to make the country poorer and ultimately more dependent on the money that their workers earn abroad. In the case of Qatar, given the small size of their native population, importing huge numbers of migrant workers is the only option they had to expand their labour constraint and diversify their economy away from oil and gas. The Qatari economy is far bigger today than it would have been otherwise because of migrant labour. The large projects being built with the help of migrant workers also creates opportunity for native workers to develop their skills and expertise, helping to develop their human capital. However, this economic boom has come at a huge human cost and will continue to do so until such a time that working in terrible conditions halfway across the world is not the best opportunity that these people have to get out of poverty. Unfortunately, the more a country's people depend on working abroad, the more they will end up depending on working abroad, which will only perpetuate this cycle. Thanks for watching, mate. Bye. The world is constantly changing and transforming. Cut through some of the noise with What's New with Wired, a podcast that goes in-depth on the latest news and technology and culture. Their award-winning journalism will help you make sense of what's happening in the world. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts.